and welcome to A Bookshelf Binge. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I'm joined by a fellow bookstagrammer and my dear, dear friend, Jess, or otherwise known as Bookish Batty on Instagram. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I'm so excited. So Jess and I got chatting, I think talking about Blood and Ash. Most likely. Yeah. I think this is how all my friendships start. Spiraled and just like outreach to everybody that I could about the book. And I've even gotten people into it so I could talk to them about it. Which honestly is the best part about Bookstagram. <laughs> it really is. It's bled out into my real life too. Like my sister and my um, best friend have now read it. And I'm like, good, I need more people. I need to infect the world with this series. Jennifer Armentrout will take our commission now. <laughs> oh, she's like, talk, go ahead, tell everybody. She doesn't even need to promote anymore. We've got it down for her. Facts. So fantasy is very near and dear to our friendship and our lives. Do you remember when you first started reading fantasy? Um, so specifically things I can remember, I've been read to my whole life. So my mom's taking care of like making sure I'm a reader. But from what I remember is two series that really, really got me into fantasy. One is very youth like oriented and that is um it was about like cats that could talk and lived in a forest oh the warrior series so that's when i was really young and it's like the most childish like kind of fantasy you could have um like these talking cats right and then that bled into obviously harry potter Mm -hmm. which you know how that you know that just took over the whole world so that was just like dipping the toe in and it just i couldn't stop from there after knowing that fantasy has endless limits and like people can think of anything, I was, I was off and reading. I am very similar. I was read to, mm-hmm. and honestly, it started with Harry Potter. When the first Harry Potter came out, my mom, I like wasn't a big reader up until I was like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And so to help kind of get me into it, my mom was reading me Harry Potter oh, and she was started traveling a bunch. So we like couldn't continue with it. And then I like at a much later age, like started to read them on my own and very much stuck with it. <laughs> it never stopped. Right. That was the beginning of the end. Basically. Do you have a favorite novel now, like a fantasy novel? I'm going to be completely honest and it's from Blood and Ash series. (laughs) I hate being like that, but it's just so good. I mean, it's great fucking everything. It it is. Like, it's got everything that could tick the boxes of a great fantasy romance novel, honestly. I mean, there's a ton more I could say, but that at the moment is like my favorite. That's fair. It's high up there for me. I also... Love the Throne of Glass series, which you need to read. I know. And <laughs> never at Akatar, right? But I don't know. I'm not like an OG. I haven't been here since Throne of Glass. So I started with Akatar actually too. And then went to Throne of Glass because I didn't find Sarah J. Mass until grad school. So probably 2017, 2018. I feel like me finding Akatar bleeds into like the whole fantasy thing. I don't even remember how I got on that. I just remember once I opened that first book, 
it was that was just we were going I binged the rest of the series and then once I was done with that obviously um I kind of it was like a year or two and then I heard that she was going to come out with Silver Flames and that just hooked me even more I was like oh well there's it's not ending but it never tempted me to read her Throne of Glass series because can I tell you it's so intimidating because there's so many books there's so many and not only that there's like these wide debates on like how you read them yeah obviously you just go originally with her publication dates but then there's like people very adamant that that's not the best way to read them and it's not the best experience and I'm just like we'll shelf that for a little while I get that yeah in Crescent City I'm a big freaking Crescent City was great person the thing is she just has this ability to make these worlds that are just like you would love to live in them no matter how horrible they can be like you're just like this is freaking awesome I want to be in this world yes obsessed but do you want to hear some fun history about fantasy of course lay it on me so fantasy just has like a ton of history which I was not expecting when I scheduled this conversation with you (laughs) the research was endless it really was there's like wikipedia page on wikipedia page on wikipedia page and they all dive into each other and i was like frick this is a lot but so i have bullet points <laughs> oh geez. like deduced it down <laughs> um so as everyone theoretically knows fantasy is fiction that is set in a fictional universe which is often inspired by real world myth and folklore it's However, distinguished from science fiction and horror by the respective absence of scientific or macabre themes, although all of those genres overlap. So weirdly, like people say that they're into fantasy and then you end up reading about weird robots in space and you're like, "Mm, that's not, that's sci-fi. I've seen their like overlap with that. It's such an interesting overlap. But in pop culture, the fantasy genre prominently features settings of a medieval nature which i find very fascinating and like i don't really understand why magic has to go with swords i don't know either maybe it i mean it might go back to like how like the history of that too along with you know like witches and things of that sort who knows was back in that time i don't know and is only and who wants to read about someone who's magical talking on a cell phone, right? Like, <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, I actually, like, so one great. of the reasons why I like Crescent City is because, like, she has, like, a free cell phone. Like, That's I can true. And, like, nightclubs. Right. <laughs> Loved that. <laughs> so the history of modern fantasy literature is often said to begin with George MacDonald, who's a Scottish author who wrote novels such as The Princess and the Goblin and... Hmm. The Princess and the Goblin, which is around 1850. <laughs> um, and these are considered to be the first fancy novels ever written for adults. Uh, and MacDonald was a major influence on J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, who really like encaptured fantasy, I feel like. Oh, for sure. But also, I find this really interesting how political and social trends affect society's reception towards fantasy. So for example, in the early 20th century, the new culture movement's enthusiasm for Westernization and science in China compelled them to condemn the fantasy genre 
of traditional Chinese literature. So the spells and magical creatures of those novels were viewed as superstitious and backwards, products of a feudal society hindering the modernization of China. And the country didn't experience a revival of the fantasy genre until after the Cultural Revolution ended. Oh, wow. So it had a huge impact. And we see that even now. Like That's true. Like, J.K. Rowling was inspired by Hitler as Voldemort. And I find... I. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard Sarah J. Mass say in interviews that Highburn was really inspired by Trump and the Republicans of 2015-2016. So like those political and society themes in turning them into villains and heroes are so interesting and like cross-cultural. Yeah, I think people take real life aspects and bleed them into fantasy. for inspiration and for plot points and just lessons in general. And it's a huge, there's huge parallels there to our world and fantasy. In 1923, the first all fantasy fiction magazine, Weird Tales was published. And after many other magazines followed, including the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, when when it was founded in 19, 1949, the pulp magazine format was at the height of its popularity, and the magazine was instrumental in bringing fantasy fiction to a wide audience in the U.S. and Britain. Such magazines were also instrumental in the rise of science fiction, and it was at this time that the two genres began to be associated with each other. By 1950, sword and sorcery fiction had begun to find a wide audience with the success of Robert Howard's Conan the Barbarian, among other titles. But it was the advent of high fantasy, and most of all, J.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series, which reached new heights of popularity in the late 1960s and allowed fantasy to truly enter the mainstream. Several other series, such as C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia and Ursula K. Lee Guin's Earthsea books helped really cement the genre in today's lexicon. It had a huge, huge impact on like what our fantasy looks like now. Yeah. If at all, really. I saw a bookstagrammer be like, Sarah J. Mass's fairies and fae are stolen from J.R.R. Tolkien. And it's just so interesting to like think about that and be like, I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien influenced so many different authors and everything true but a lot of those base like fantasy things were already based like you had said earlier on like mythology and other tales and things that people were already verbally telling each other way back and or even believing and then it kind of becomes well that was so popular it must have come from that when really like the fae and fairies and all that people believe that for forever you know it's like cemented into Scandinavian history. Mm-hmm. And fantasy is such a vein of just how the world turns almost. And you don't really realize it that all of these books, all of these stories, all of history really dives into all of these same themes and yeah. avenues. I feel like we've all just been wishing that there's a magical world out there for eons. <laughs> eons 
whether we believed it in the past and we thought like because they used to think changelings were actually a thing you know and so forever forever in a day we've been experiencing these themes of fantasy it's just now we write about them and read about them instead of believing them mm-hmm. to the first peoples they had such a rich storytelling history about like Wendigos and like yeah. the changelings and shapeshifters and like beware all of this and it's such I love how it's just transcended time it is and a lot of that though too as I've I've read some things is what we call like um certain um medical anomalies were back then attributed to the things that they thought were f- these things that we now call fantasy yeah like people who were sick or who had deformities or who had these illnesses or disabilities kind of bled into what we've created to be our fantasy world because they didn't know what those things were and they thought they were touched by magical beings or ailments of some sort it's super fascinating when you think about that i fully agree so with all of this in mind what's your favorite kind of fantasy So obviously I love my fantasy with a touch of romance. So it has to kind of have some of that. Although I will read fantasy by itself, but I will say I'm like turning the page waiting for a spark. Um, (laughs) But I will say I'm kind of in that, in that vein of like, I like it to be more back in the old times or inspired by that. While I do love magical mythical fantasy that has like parallels to modern society, I find I much enjoy things when it's like there is no electricity or they don't have cell phones or they don't have certain amenities like that we do today. I just find it more interesting. I feel like you can have a little bit more fun with it that way. And that's how I personally get more into a story because it's so far removed from my world that it's easier for me to fall into. So I like that kind of vein of fantasy where it's just a whole different world completely even if it has certain things that are similar, it's, it's does not have anything to do with like our world. It's so different. That's what I enjoy. I, so you are very interested in like that medieval high fantasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I also really appreciate high fantasy. I really struggle with low fantasy and I think it's because I get really caught up in our world's yes. like physics and like rules and norms and so when you have interesting magic happening around you you're like but why close so I still think in the parameters of our abilities but I'm like okay why do they have like okay for instance so many things in Harry Potter don't make sense because I'm like you have magic why do you need this So it like bleeds too closely to our modern world. I'm like, magic could fix so many things and you're just not choosing to do it. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit more of a removed um, atmosphere from our society to like get me off of that. Or I will literally think about it the whole book. (laughs) So like that's my low low fantasy. I'm just like, "Mm, it's it's okay. And a lot, it just depends on what they're going to do with the plot I guess and how they do do that to keep me interested but yeah I'd say definitely like the higher like medieval world fantasy is my favorite I definitely feel you there I don't mind 
like technological aspects and I don't mind it being modern but I do mind when it's like modern day Seattle (laughs) yeah yeah or like modern day London like I'm just like why what are some of your favorite authors that really capture that for you oh I wasn't prepared for this quiz or test (laughs) first you go first see I'm horrible because people are like what's your favorite this or what's your favorite that and I go in like spurts where I'm like, okay, I really love this person. I really love that person. But I don't remember authors' names unless they really, really register with me. Yeah. I just remember stories. So like, I'm always horrible at that. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. And now obviously I love fantasy so much, but I've been on like a contemporary romance kick. So I'm like, it's flown out of my head. So you go you go first, tell me. So I don't keep saying Jennifer L. Armantrout. She's just going to get free publicity right now and that's all i'll say we're just gonna send her the episode be like yo friend look at what we did (laughs) for real it's also hard for me because i've also been on a contemporary kick right okay i have a few these are more ya but i love the worlds they build so um obviously shelby murin had done serpent and dove which goes to the aspect of like that whole medieval vibe because it's like Back when witches were around, there's like no cell phones. It's very, um, I think it's London or something of that sort, but it's, it's like back in the day, or at least that's definitely the, I'm pretty sure the vibe that it gives. So I really enjoy her series um, for that reason. And also um, Bridget, is it? Tamamer? Tamamer? I love how she redid the whole like Beauty and the Beast thing yeah she did a great job of like taking a girl who comes from the modern world and like pulling her back into a world that's seems completely mythical but parallels her own Mm -hmm. so those are two that I really enjoy um and I'm so excited Bridget's coming out with um goodbye the night I know I saw it I'm so excited I can't wait I am so excited for defy the night I also really loved once upon a curse a curse so what's yeah, that book? dark and lonely yep that's the curse so dark and lonely there yeah, we that's did the one it that was inspired by the beauty and the beast loved that yeah. yeah so good that one's also yeah i really enjoyed that one as well i also did love shelby murren um i haven't read blood and honey and that i don't know why but i love serpent and dove um i also I read it in one night the the first one it was so me good. too but for being like, I like more of an adult fantasy for yeah. being a young adult um, fantasy, they, they both did them so excellently, like made up these worlds and like had such well-rounded characters in my mind that it didn't matter. It had certain things that I would look for in a book because I didn't need them. It, it had gotten taken over by these other aspects that I just felt so emerged into their world that I like, I read their books. I mean, I think... I read the first two um, of A Curse So Dark and Lonely. I think the first two were out already. And then I waited for the third one and I like binged that one too. The the trilogy, it was so good. Um, so I had to go through my Kindle to make sure. I- <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm like looking through a Kindle app. You know, I had to look at my bookshelves. I'm like, what have I actually read? Um, so I really love Patricia Briggs. Mm. Haven't read anything by her, but I have her one one of her first books in the series. It's a girl, I think. She's there's a girl on the cover. It's like werewolves, isn't it, or something? Um, so she's two. She has the Mercy Thompson series. That's the one I 
think that I have the first one up, but I haven't read yet. So she has that one and the Alpha and Omega series. And I actually prefer the Alpha and Omega series. So for listeners that don't know, the Mercy Thompson series is a coyote shifter. She's Native American and can only shift to a coyote, which is very deep in the first people's mythology. And she's surrounded by werewolves. And there's a bunch of other fantasy elements, like there's vampires and fairies and all of that. So that's a really great one. And that one also is really intimidating because there's like 12 novels or something. Yeah, I only got the first one to like dip my foot in, but those, there's a huge, huge amount of books in that series too, so. And then there's the Alpha and Omega, which follows a couple. Mm. And I really like the couple. I think they balance each other out really well and Patricia Briggs writes really well towards them. And the man is also Native American, which I also love. I just love representation. And the main character, like the main girl character is a victim of sexual abuse. So go into it knowing that, but it's like really, really well done. And it doesn't like describe the assault ever really. It's just kind of the aftermath of it and like getting into a healthy relationship after and it's just beautifully done but there's only five novels in that one (laughs) we'll start with that one now i'll get another book that's a whole nother uh aspect of fantasy that i really enjoy but i can't say that i've read too many of them which is like the actual mythical beings vampires werewolves i love werewolves um but i can't say i've branched out into too many like traditional novels about that but like the whole mythical being is also just another subset of fantasy that I enjoy as well. So I just went on this huge rant about how I don't like f- low fantasy, but almost all of those are low fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's like you can, like I said, it just depends on the author and how they do it. It does. Um, it really does. It is very author specific. I'm going to be honest, if you're going to give me like a, like a ripped guy who's a werewolf, but he works as a mechanic, I'm down for that. Like, (laughs) I'm okay with that. But then if you try and do that and you add certain things, like you add this like fantasy plot in there, then you need to kind of do that in a certain way that's going to still make me feel like, like, why is this happening when he literally lives in a flat New York? Like, I don't get it, you know? Like there's just things and some people are really great at those things and they can hit them. And some people I'm like, this just missed the mark. I can't do this. So like, I fully agree. Readers, we fluctuate, right? Like are we the most fickle people in the world? We can be like, we hate this. And the next week someone comes out with the same thing. And we're like, wow, we love this. So it's I just- really thought I was over vampires. Like I read Crave by Tracy Wolf and I didn't love it. Like mm-hmm. I loved Twilight as a kid, but I can't figure out why I love it anymore. <laughs> not to knock it if you love it you love it not my thing anymore but you grow out of books I think you know but then fucking JLA came out with Full Blood and Ash I'm gonna be a novel and I'm like well done honest (laughs) to this day I 110% thought he was a werewolf I literally bought a kingdom of flesh and fire because of the cover i just snatched it right off the shelf and i was like i think this is the second in the series hadn't heard much from blood nash again it was like a little whisper in my ear i don't even remember who told me about it i was like i just gotta get this it looks so interesting 
read it don't even think I read the back of the book it was just so such a gorgeous cover and I loved the title I was like yeah I'm gonna love this I'm gonna eat this up like so I'm thinking he's a werewolf the whole time and then when, spoiler alert and then when he decides to like do his thing I'm like whoa 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 he's not a vampire is he and it to this day I don't think of it as a vampire novel like he I don't I it's not that I think it's a werewolf one. It's just she did it so spectacularly that I don't even think of him as like a vampire. He's just a man who has like elongated fangs and drinks blood. He's not. A <laughs> and it makes no sense. But Let me define a vampire, but tell you it's not a vampire. <laughs> yeah, I don't think of him as a vampire. He's an Atlantean. They're not vampires. They're just not. <laughs> In my mind. And I don't know if that's because of how I came into the book, thinking that, like, she whew, turned that one around on me. But I was just, like, all the traits that he had were also traits of, of like, a werewolf would have. They were strong. And, like, the it was the golden kid, eyes. The golden eyes really the got The golden you. eyes. Like, come on now. If anyone's read anything about werewolves, that's, like, hello. Like, a thing. And so I'm here thinking one thing, and she turned into another. And then by then, I was just like, well, he's an Atlantean. That's, that's not a vampire. And then because of the way that they have like the actual vampires against the Atlanteans, like, I don't know. That's fair. So yeah, it's, that's my like whole beginning of From Blood Nash. I, I literally thought that it was about werewolves. So she suckered me into a vampire novel. Way to go. Claps to you, JLA. Because I think <laughs> if somebody would have told me it was about vampires, I probably wouldn't have read it because I don't gravitate towards them they're not my favorite and I think that's because I don't really like the way people write about them personally because it's so like I want to suck so, the blood dark yeah. Cop. yeah I'm not it's so Dracula and like mm-hmm. no one can do Bram Stoker like Bram Stoker exactly it's like you're trying but you're not there and I'd rather not read that so yeah. she did it and got me suckered into it and so to this day I don't I would never classify that to somebody first is like read this it's a vampire novel like read this going in 100% blind and like get your own feel for it that's the kind of book I think it is but yeah I appreciate that um funny story regarding that one I love it I'm like freaking dying over here So we keep using terms like high fantasy and low fantasy to describe these novels, but there are so many different labels and classifications for our fantasy. Like on a real brief Wikipedia scroll before this call, there was like 40 listed. So like, there's so many, mm-hmm. like they go from there's overarching kind of labels, like portal fantasy and immersive fantasy, which like immersive is what we'd probably call high fantasy. Mm-hmm. and intrusion fantasy or liminal fantasy which is basically low fantasy so like teach me a lesson right now <laughs> <laughs> welcome to school by jessica <laughs> uh, but like portal fantasy is a curse of dark and lonely like you go through a portal to get to a new thing and immersive fantasy is high fantasy where it's like a completely new world mm-hmm. and Intrusion fantasy is where like it kind of intrudes upon it. So like shadow hunters, where like a non-magical person is like introduced to it and the introduction kind of propels the forward or the story forward. And then liminal fantasy is basically low fantasy. 
it just means that it's magical in the real world mm-hmm. but like these are just four or I guess six wow there's so many I guess it's like any way you could think of the way a fantasy plot would start it can have its own like I guess terminology yeah as you can probably tell by this chat I feel like high fantasy and low fantasy are like the big two. Oh, for sure the delineate and like even like I would call a curse so dark and lonely to be high fantasy there are like realistic aspects of it but all the fantasy happens in a different world that's true and there is a lot more to it than just going to that world like there's a whole bunch of other aspects that come into play magical or otherwise Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly I mean it's not the highest of high fantasy but it's I wouldn't call it a low fantasy either maybe like mid yeah (laughs) midpoint and like shadow hunters i say this based on like the clips i've seen of the tv show like i haven't actually read this book so sorry if i insult i read the first two like shadow hunters i would call more low fantasy like a lot of that takes place in the real world like they're going to nightclubs and stuff yeah it's true because i feel like what defines high fantasy is like the creation of a world you don't really know about yeah so i mean i guess in the shadow hunter world there is a whole society you don't know of so i don't know it kind of again it's hard to but it, it all takes place in our world so which is kind of the hallmark of a low mm-hmm. fantasy it's all happening yeah. with our rules and regulations versus an akatar where it's all happening in a different everything yeah, everything is not as it seems. <laughs> yeah. So high fantasy, as we just said, is set in a secondary world. Whether the real or primary world is the secondary world, the it is internally consistent. It has its rules that are different from those of our world. So Lord of the Rings is a great example. Middle Earth has its own everything. It is not based on us at all. Versus low fantasy, is the opposite it's set in our world it has the inclusion of magical elements but it's not which is like a la harry potter school is out can i tell you i just got like a a nice little lesson there (laughs) i just read right (laughs) i try and find books by genre and that's about as far as i go this podcast has really just like expanded weird knowledge sets i'm gonna be great at trivia (laughs) there you go we should do like a, a, a bookish trivia one day. Like see how much we all know about the books we're reading. <laughs> yes. Yes. And absolutely. Toot on the live. <laughs> Here you go. What is something you love in fantasy worlds? Like you kind of mentioned that you love like the medieval stuff, but like in a fantasy novel, what is something that you like love? Let's see. I usually like there to be like, I don't like something to stay stationary. I very much like when they're forwarded by whatever plot they need to do and move. So you get more of an idea of where you are in that world. So that's like something I really like is exploring the world within the story. Mm -hmm. A lot of stories, it's like you only get so much of the world, right? And you're in this spot or they're only in so many places. I really like almost the adventure aspect of it. So when plots make these characters go 
farther into their world or somewhere they don't know or anything where I get to learn more. I really enjoy that. That's fun. And then you also get like the whole point of these characters journeying, which is always fun. So that's what I enjoy. I think I, a solid male lead. I hate like, okay, yeah, that's fair. Jerks who like tend to encompass a lot of fantasy novels. Like the man who's just like sit there and look pretty. And yeah, no, yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. Like that could die for me if anything. And I like a very strong female lead, like to offset that. Like you need to, like, you, you know, you need the male lead to not be a jerk, but you also need him to be like, I think to know when his female lead is going to take charge. I think that's why I love the Throne of Glass series. It is because, like, spoiler alert, cover your ears, sorry. But Rowan is like the final male interest for this girl. And he's like very powerful, very alpha, very much like a leader. But he kind of knows that it's not really his place to say that she can't do something and shouldn't do something. And like they are trying to save her kingdom. They're trying to do this to save her world, but instead understanding that she has to go through this process and she is kind of leading this charge. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with like people who like the women or the um, love interests to be more of like, I don't want to say meeker in a bad way, but like the followers. There's nothing wrong with that, but I feel just like, the women have been in that role for so long in books that it's nice to see people writing about women who are the main characters of their own story. It's not the man and the girl's the love interest. It's the woman and the man is the love interest. So it's nice to see the roles reversed, especially in fantasy, like to see a woman be the main character in that, that plot is refreshing. Yeah. And it's fun because then you, you think of yourself being in those shoes rather than, Oh, you know, she's just there for the male character. Yeah. I feel very similarly. It's very nice. It's such a, you can't just have books full of Samwise. Yes. <laughs> That's just a deep cut for everyone. <laughs> what do you think is ever done? Ooh, overdone. I mean, I love Beauty and the Beast tellings, but I think it's kind of overdone. I understand that it's kind of peak enemies to lovers. But I'm I'm really over. I love for the other retellings now. Yeah. I love a good retelling. I really do, yeah. especially if it's done differently. And there's it doesn't even it could be vaguely a retelling or whatever. I mean, clearly, um, they're super popular now. But there's like certain ones I feel like you say are interesting to do or popular to do because they have that underlying trope that is so fascinating for everybody. But there's so many others. Like I've recently seen like a Peter Pan retelling, which is really cool. I've seen a couple actually in mainstream and in self-publishing. And like, that's cool. Let's give love to the other stories because they're just as easily, you can tweak any retelling to make it a certain thing and still have some elements of that retelling. And that's the whole point of those. Exactly. Hades and Persephone having a great moment. (laughs) having a great moment they honestly are and I'm living for it I'm, I'm here any I'm a Hades simp what can I say and that's hard that's horrible to say but if my 13 year old self heard me say that she'd probably get it but still <laughs> I've, I've 
been reading some some spicy stuff for a while. <laughs> you read Neon Gods, or is that what? Oh called? yeah, I read Neon Gods. I haven't yet. It's on my list. The thing with that is, and that's the whole like that kind of blends into what we were saying or bleeds into it is, it's a retelling but in a looser form. So they're not even gods. The story I've heard, I've seen some critiques, and I understand the critiques is the world is so like it's modern and it's 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 parallels our world but there's like little aspects of um mythology and magic that are there and you don't really understand why you don't really even know why but you don't care because the plot is so good in my opinion mm -hmm. that you don't need you're like oh they can't do that i don't get why it doesn't even matter oh that's based off that or oh they were named after the gods and eh, who cares why but so there's like things of that sort touched into the plot but you don't get like an actual explanation of why it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. But it's so good and refreshing because it gives me like gangster mafia vibes. <laughs> like Hades and Persephone are just these people who are faded through um, their positions in life to come together and they have to work together under these um, conditions that are basically forced upon them through titles because each, each God has um this power and influence over the city but they're not actually gods they're just people who have these roles so it's very politically driven as well within the city so i thought that was such a cool take on something everybody's doing but it's not mythical at all really other than just being their names i thought that was really cool uh yeah that's i really appreciate that and also i know we keep mentioning it and if you're over it i'm sorry but from blood and ash it was like a really really loose retelling of hades and persephone when you wrote that somewhere or i heard you say that i can't remember where was it i don't know you said it episode like, two of the podcast <laughs> yeah i was like no it was not i think you said it was danielle or something i was like what but i get it, it i see it and those themes are there and there we love them yeah. But it's how you do them that impact yes. how your story is going to go or how your story is received. So I don't think you necessarily have to go piece by piece by piece of the actual retelling. You just take things that inspire you from that and put it into your novel. And that's the refreshing part about it. Exactly. Like strict retellings, I think, are so overdone. I love Akhtar and I know I keep mentioning it as well. So, you know, listeners, apologize. But... The first Akatar book, actually Akatar, is um, like such a strict Beauty and the Beast retelling. And I think yeah. I really, like I liked A Curse of Dark and Lonely, but it is a pretty strict Beauty and the Beast retelling. Yep. And the rest of them are have other inspirations and whatever, but I think I liked the other ones better. Because, because it branches off into that, re like it gets off the retelling train and goes into now we're in our own world and we're doing our own thing rather than yeah. following that like formula that mm -hmm. goes with a retelling. I agree. I agree. What do you think is overdone? Oh, I'm trying to think of other things that I've like rolled my eyes at because I'm sure there's a lot. <laughs> but when I'm sitting here trying to think about it, I'm like, peace and love. I love everything. <laughs> I'm serious. I can't think. I'm like, I'm, all of a sudden, I just love every book. I'm like, no, nothing sucks. I love it all. I'm trying to think because I'm sure there are because there's things I avoid when I'm looking at the bookstore. I'm like, I can't do another one of those. That's fair. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Like you said before, just like 
having the formula of a broody or like a male love interest that's going to take over. Like, I just can't do that anymore. I need, we need a man who understands that the girl's going to lead the way. Like, sorry. And just like, aid her. You don't even have to step out of the way. Just like, be like, all right, we're going this way. Got it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I love all the sass from some of these like main characters now. Like I said, these women don't have um, any qualms about telling the man where to go. I yeah. love that. That's my, that is what I love. I, I'm trying to think of what I'm over. I feel like the fantasy genre was very sexist mm-hmm. for a very long time. And we're having this emergence of feminist fantasy almost. And I am here for it. Me too, 100%. That's, that's the opposite of being over it. I'm yeah. here for it. Yeah. Well, you think, also think, how do you like your world building? I kind of like playing catch up where you're thrown in. Like Crescent City just kind of started and it kind of gets explained as you go in those early chapters, but it's not overt versus... See, I'm going to disagree with you because I think Crescent City info dumps heavily and I was like, girl, just let me live in this story. You don't need to tell me why there's a fairy dancing down the road. Like I know it for me personally, I I'm like you, like just literally like throw me into the story as long as nothing's too, because some fantasy, when you're creating things, you have to have like context clues of what that thing is. Otherwise it is so, um, out of my understanding. I'm not going to be like, well, what is that thing? So if there's context clues, I can figure it out just like go, go with it and I'll get there. And like, give me things as we go along. I don't need like five whole chapters, like indicating why we're in this world, how it got built, who the king and queen was, this and that, like, I'll, I'll figure it out. And if I don't, that's why there's all these forums to talk with other people. Yeah, <laughs> we'll figure it out together. I, I really, really, really hate, and I, I haven't re- read it yet. So grain of salt, but I heard that Realm Breaker has like serious info dumps at the beginning yeah I haven't I haven't really heard much about it um but every time I go to grab it at Barnes and Noble I'm like I look at the pretty map inside and then I'm like we're gonna buy you another day (laughs) because I just have that vibe of it's gonna be a big one like it's gonna have so much information uh such a different world that I'm going to need all of my like focus on figuring out what's going on But if it has like info dumping, that's also not fun either because it almost indicates like you as a reader can't figure out what this world's going to be like. I never thought of it that way, but yes, absolutely. And for now there, I would, I would say that there are certain books that if you're starting out in a certain genre, you do not read them. Realm Breaker, obviously we have neither one of us have read it, but if that's really true and you need info dumping, then that's for a specific kind of fantasy reader. Mm-hmm. Somebody who has done this before, they can understand the way a world works. They enjoy um, the building of a world in that, in a certain way, and they can get that story, get the most out of that story. But if you have to info dump, then you feel like as a reader, you're like, I, they, they don't think I'm going to understand what's happening here. So, you know, I feel like there should be like a certain level of like a a medium, a bit, like amount of 
telling your story or um, telling what's going on in your world versus just letting it play out and like showing them as you go along. Like we have to understand that there are more than one species in a ser- in a world. Yeah. But we don't need you to list all of them right away. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I very much agree. And I really, truly never thought of it that way, but yeah. And readers are smart. Like respect the reader. <laughs> so true. And that's obviously not a day at realm breaker. We've neither one of us. Right. Have read none it. of us have read it. <laughs> none of us. Have read it. I just mean in general, when, when novels do that, they, yeah. it, I feel like it's kind of like, I'm getting a, I'm getting a headache and you don't trust me through this process. Like you're exactly. holding my hand, let go of me. I've got this. Give me a sword instead. I'll fight my way through this. <laughs> I'll get it. Because clearly, uh, clearly I eventually figured out that From Blood and Ash was a vampire novel. Okay? <laughs> so if I can manage that. We got there. <laughs> I can do anything. Okay? Uh, yes, yes. Absolutely. What's a book that I've actually read that I know that does info dump? Not many. I usually avoid that. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with the way somebody writes high fantasy. Cause I feel like that's the culprit is high fantasy. Oh yeah. Because you're trying to get this person so caught up with the world you've built um, to get to the point in the story where they can enjoy your world. But I feel like in my enjoyment comes from kind of like getting introduced to the story or the world through the story it's like maybe I don't understand it for the first (laughs) couple chapters uh but I don't think there's there's a bad thing about being a little bit confused like it's kind of fun being like oh what's this or oh where are they or this is really new and different wow you don't need to tell me why where what just describe it and I'm there I'll get to it eventually I'll figure it out I agree I absolutely agree yeah, but info dumping, I can't think of a novel that's really done that. Like, I, other I than- I avoid it for a reason, so I, like- <laughs> I truly think Crescent City did that personally to me, but I know other people don't. They do, like, bring you into that really quickly, and it is more of a modern society with, with hints of the fantasy, so it's not so much that it's about, like, the, the world, because the world's really easy of a concept to grasp. It's more, I felt like there was just so much about- certain things certain species like uh different parts of like the districts that she has that really all of a sudden I was like whoa 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 (laughs) just let me look at the map I'll figure out what's going on here but uh, again it wasn't anything that made me feel like I wouldn't continue the story because it was just so good and so fun and like I know I like don't speak for all readers and like I very much recognize that but I am never going to stop reading a book at like 10%. Like if I'm going to not finish a book, it's going to be at like 40 to 60. Yeah. I definitely power through. I'm not a big person who doesn't finish books. There's only one that I can think of. And that was more because it was just so much prose and over description of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the starless sea looking at you. <laughs> That's Leonie Taylor. No, that is gotten I gotta look it up I don't think it was her I love her books that's another one with fantasy that is brilliantly done you want to talk about books that have a fantasy world that literally just lets you and an adventure that I love strange the dreamer 
a beautiful, I feel like underrated book that just has its own world and own even magical system uh, um, and things of that sort that just lets you enjoy being a character, honestly, in, within that book and just taking you on a journey without telling you every bit of information. Oh, well, that's good to know. Writing that one down. Oh, you haven't read that? I haven't. I haven't read Leonie Taylor yet. Oh, this is Erin Morgenstern. Oh, she did Nights, I guess. Or let's see. Yeah, I haven't read that either, which I think it's just more of a me thing. I'm not somebody who really enjoys when you walk into a room, they describe everything. Yeah. Her writing is gorgeous. It's absolutely lovely. It just takes up so much mm-hmm. space. Like, I'm not kidding when I say they walked into a room and walked out of it and it was a whole page to walk through the room. And that's, again, that's me. I'm just, I was like, I can't get through this book. That's fair. I too, too beautifully done and overly flowery prose. I was like, I can't do it. That's fair. Um, the Night Circus is also a low fantasy novel and it was written during NaNoWriMo. Oh, okay. So what does it stand for? Oh, it's National Novel Writing Month. Duh. We got there. We got, got the it. internet. Mm-hmm. What's it called when you write a novel in a month? <laughs> but so the premise of Remo, for those who don't know, is you're supposed to write like a certain number of words a day. I'm saying this, I'm talking out of my ass. I should just look it up. Well, basically it's just, you work on your novel. I mean, you can set you can set your own goals, but you work on your novel throughout that whole month. And their like goal is to have finished their novel by the end of that month, which is usually about like 50,000 plus words. So that's like what NaNoWriMo encourages you to do. So you can set your own goals depending on how long you think your story is going to be. Typically like a novel is about 50 to 60,000 words. I mean, obviously fantasy, fantasy is usually a lot higher than that. But so that's like the goal they want you to get at. So however, like other, some people write a lot slower. Some people write a lot faster. So you can just adjust your goals to try and get to that point. But that's basically what they do. So the Night Circus was written through like five NaNoWriMo's, I think. Okay. And it's written non-linearly, which I surprisingly enjoyed. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did, but it is very descriptive so So I bounce around or yeah so there's a couple different perspectives um the premise of it is there's two magicians that are competing against each other and that's how the circus is created and it's because these two master magicians are friends but they have very different styles and so it's a competition to see whose styles wins and it's like you have no idea how someone even wins you have no idea how they're being judged. They just like keep pushing each other to see who keeps one upping each other. And through that, they build these elaborate tents of the circus that are beautiful and gorgeous. And all of the connecting pieces of that is like kind of the magical world building aspects. But because you're describing a circus and you're describing new tents that pop up and new intricate magic that's being created it's very very descriptive so I can understand that the starless is also that I think that's just her way of writing which goes well with the story that 
the stories that she's built because the starless sea follows a gentleman who finds a book who when he opens it he reads his own story like it's about him i think when he's younger it's like it's it's something that is telling um something he's experienced personally so it's a very like ode to people who love to read books it has another world involved in it it's the premise is like really great i think it's just her style of writing that i don't click with but her actual plots go well with the way she writes so mm -hmm. i love all of this because it just shows the reader will attach to what it will attach to exactly they what they will attach to but and i can acknowledge that that's me and not yeah. the book so like, I think there are some readers who don't really understand that. Like you define what you like. And that's why people have these discussions of like genres and like, what do you like? What do you not like? Because it isn't always the book per se. It's you as the reader and what you like. So I would never go off and write a bad review about something that I knew was my, my own pickiness or my own, like, if it was truly bad, I would be like, okay, you know, there might be some things we need to work upon. But if it's because it's not my genre or it's not my style, well, then you just put it down and you find something else. And that has nothing to do with the the author at all, or even the story for that matter. It's just not vibing with you. I have a friend who hates low fantasy, can't do it, absolutely cannot embrace it in any way, shape or form. And she, like, that's on her. I love low fantasy sometimes. Yeah. On this note, how do we feel about romance in fantasy? Well, like I said earlier, I love my fantasy with a little, I like my romance with fantasy and I like my fantasy with my romance. So that's like my favorite. Uh, I don't even know if it's technically its own little genre. Although I've heard people call it like, um, romanticy. romanticy. <laughs> I was like, that's up my alley right there. It really is. But I think it ties into the conversation of young adult versus new adult versus adult characterizations of fantasy. I mean, I just talked to Danielle Jensen, who wrote The Bridge Kingdom, and while there's not a fantasy element to The Bridge Kingdom, there are in her other series, and she's writing a new one that has a lot of magic, and she went publicly and said that it will only be published as an adult and marketed as a new adult. It will not be pushed into the young adult genre, because I feel like the Akatar, the Throne of Glass, the From Blood and Ash. I combined some of those. Throne of Glass, Blood and Ash. Those were the yeah. things. <laughs> um, a Curse of Dark and Lonely. Like, A Curse of Dark and Lonely is YA. But I feel like those could all be pushed into the new adult genre. And a lot of them are marketed towards young adults. And I kind of hate that. I, like, I do also need romance with well, my fantasy. I think I remember um, I recently had taken a course that kind of talked about this Ooh. and young adult does not necessarily have or have not like it isn't what it does or doesn't have. Basically, young adult are the themes that the characters go through, not what they experience. So that's why um, certain YA like adult uh novels could technically be new adult because or you would think that they technically could be new adult because they may have some certain explicit scenes or they may have more cursing but if the character is experiencing something that is like coming of age like you are a young kid or a teenager in um 
young adulthood and you're experiencing the things that a normal person of that age would experience, it is going to be young adult because of what they're going through. This is from somebody who's in that industry. That's why some of them, you would think, why are, why is that in young adult? Like that's kind of spicy or that has certain explicit scenes. But if the main character is going through like what you normally would at that age, so maybe, um, parent issues or like you're learning to grow as a person or you're you're going from one mindset to another or anything that we've ever obviously encountered as a young uh not a young adult as a teenager is technically supposed to be categorized as young adult and the new adult is specifically for people of a college age mindset going through what college age kids kids would go through and that could be with or without explicit scenes now, whether the actual industry does that, <laughs> because a lot of that isn't so much the people who write it or anything of that sort, it's the publishing houses, I think, that get a bit of a say of where a book's going to go. And they just go, we're going to do whatever we want. <laughs> so that's why I think there was a whole rebranding issue with the whole Akatar series, because while she is younger and she's dealing with a lot of things that a teenager would deal with, especially with her mom and her dad and her family, and like feelings of who am I and all those things that she's dealing with. And she is very young. There's so many scenes that you would categorize those as like adult scenes, but because it was a young adult atmosphere or I mean, an, uh, a teenager atmosphere, it got put into the young adult and not the new adult. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. No, it does. And I feel like, like publishers and, I haven't talked to a publisher, so I don't actually know this for a fact, but it feels like adult fantasy is a lot more Tolkien and The Hobbit. And like, it seems like a lot more male focused, Mm -hmm. a lot more high fantasy. High fantasy, I feel like is, is definitely um, saturated by male authors and male leads mm-hmm. and things of that sort that's true and like it just like weirdly like it has like a very specific vibe to it and I can't articulate that vibe but like you listeners know exactly what I'm talking about so <laughs> yeah, I trust you to true. understand we all know okay maybe this is just me every section in a bookstore it doesn't matter what bookstore you're at has a vibe to it yes (laughs) it's not just the titles it's not just the design of the cover it's just the vibe like you can tell what each book has a flow to it of what it is and like what's going on and it just has a whole different vibe in the fantasy adult fantasy section yes very very much so and the young adult has its own vibe. Mm-hmm. And not only are we talking about that, if you talk about sales wise, young adult kills it. Yeah. So why wouldn't you want your book in a young adult, even if it toes the line, right? So publishers, I'm sure they're motivated by money. Um, Danielle Johnson mentioned in our chat that a young adult advances are very much higher than adult advances. She was saying that like some books that are like marketed as adult will have like a 15 grand advance. 
mm-hmm. versus a book that's marketed as young adult will have like a hundred K advance, which is yeah. such a huge disparity and fascinating to think about. I feel like there is this, and this goes for a lot of different genres in the new adult range, which technically new adult may be online, but in the publishing world is not really a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a new adult category in most bookstores because it doesn't technically exist. Although you can find new adult books, like if you're looking on Amazon, I think there's a section mm-hmm. because it's starting to gain traction, but they've tried to do it and it doesn't work quote unquote from certain people um, like publishers and stuff. They don't think it works, but I think that you need to actively make it a thing to brand these books for a certain audience with a certain title like new adult and people will come and they will flock to it. We're already there. There is definitely a super, super big audience for fantasy romance for new adult of any kind in that range, even, even, uh heroines and heroes in the 30 like in your age 30s like come on we all want to have i do not relate anymore to younger main characters i like to read their stories and they can be cute and they can be motivating but i don't under i just am not in that age range anymore so to say that we have to go from young adult to all of a sudden adult even if they are technically in those age ranges, I feel like there needs to be that middle ground for people who want a certain story within those parameters. And we're not really getting it because people don't think it's going to sell, but we're here and we have a voice and we're ready for it. I said this on a live once, but I feel like millennials are in such an interesting limbo and like, Mm-hmm. let's just be real millennials are the people who are in their 30s and late 20s and thanks for the reminder <laughs> <laughs> no some people have to have the reminder because they think that they're like still 16 like uh, well I, I have no <laughs> I am not disillusioned to that I'm not 16 anymore <laughs> like I feel like anything that happens to anything that's younger than 60 they're like damn millennials that is true. We're like a curse word. Right. Versus like, no, They're no, no. On us. We will hold the weight of the sh- of the world on our shoulders. Versus like, let's be real here. There are millennials who are almost 40. But um, millennials were, are in such a weird limbo. Like everything that we've ever been told, like kind of defines us. Buying a house, starting a family, whatever. They like, millennials don't encompass that anymore. They like very much went against that and very much couldn't get that because of economics, situations, whatever. But because of that, we are like not identifying as the adult people anymore. I so agree with you. It's hard to go to that section of a bookstore, especially for like adult fantasy mm-hmm. and identify with it and connect to it and enjoy it. Versus like, like you said, I can't read a 16 year old save the world anymore. Like I can accept it for what it is. And I can like, be like, that's a cute story. But like, I'm almost, I'm almost 30 and I can barely do laundry. Like, (laughs) did you see that? It's like, it's all over the place, but I've seen this meme where it's like, I want to see somebody who's the chosen one who's 30. And they're just like, I don't want to do this. Wait, Wait, I I don't want to be the chosen one. Never mind. But you, you see them be like, have no choice and they struggle through it anyway. Like that's the kind of stuff 
but you make such a good point about us not really identifying as the modern adult or like the adults we see and who've raised us. Like, I would say I'm so disconnected from my own mom, who is now obviously in her fifties or sixties, you know, she's in that age range. And I'm, I'm like, I was not like my mom when she had me as a child. I'm nowhere near how I was neither financially state, like in that same stable atmosphere with like a family. Like I have no children. I'm still living in an apartment. So a lot of us identify through books of who we are, whether that's in fantasy or not, that could be in romance. It could be in anything. We want to see those people in those books and there's nowhere to go from YA to adult. And that's a huge, huge, like, whoever truly like starts to brand books that way, I feel like it's going to flourish. It already is flourishing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of self-published indie authors are using that as a way to get their books heard, like known about, heard word of mouth through those new adult terms. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I know if I hear somebody go, I read this great romance, this new adult romance. I'm like, what, what is it? Because I feel like I can identify with that character within that story more than if they're like, oh, I read this uh, fantasy, it's adult, this and that, because adult to me has different connotations than like new adult would. Yeah. And I feel like adult themes, like as much as like I applaud these women who like have careers and have children, but like a 32 year old who has a kid and is like the heroine of a fantasy story, like I can't like... I yeah. have no idea your headspace and I can't attach myself and to And that's it. the great thing about books is there's a book for everybody, but yes. we need to be branding them and, and categorizing them as such so we can find them. And to just take away a certain whole jo- like whole jump of a genre or certain kind of book just because you don't think anybody's going to buy it. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense because we're clearly here and we're like itching for these books. And it's so hard to be able to figure out what book is which when we have such a jump yeah I fully fully agree well this has been a very wonderful conversation I thoroughly enjoyed it I can't wait to have you on again thank you my last question okay is what book are you currently binging oh okay well I'm binging it's not fantasy (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not binging it it's so hard to get through it's like just a regular contemporary romance. And I think I've been binging them so much that I'm like over it now. Yeah. So um, I'm going to say uh, it's called Dirty For You, but I don't know if I'd recommend people to technically read it, but it's not bad. It's just, it's about a mechanic and this really rich girl. And again, it goes back to that whole connect with like people. I just don't connect with them. Yeah. So I'm struggling. So I don't know. I'm trying to think what I want to read next. It's fantasy so we can connect this, but because the, the book I'm binging is not <laughs> binge worthy. What about you? What are you binging? I mean, I'm also binging contemporary romance right now. Yeah. Um, I've read quite a few rom-coms, but I think it's time to shift back to fantasy. And so I'm going to start binging Lynette Noni, who did The Prison Healer. Um, I got her other series. I got the first couple books of that that I'm going to start binging. I've been binging J.R. Ward, who I am, I did not love the first Black Dagger Brotherhood book. I will fully admit that, but I'm trying to give her a chance. Like 
there's 20 books in the series. Like they have to get better. And I know the first books in a series aren't really it for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So letting that mature and letting that like, just like do its thing. So I'm going to dive back into that. And also the Dark Shores series. I am binging. Yes. I need to get the first one of that so that I can. (laughs) I still laugh. For everyone who doesn't know, I told Jess, um, so Danielle, the new adult book club, and I do a monthly book club and we chose. She graciously invited me to be in with this reading. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll totally get it. What's the first book, this or this? And And I told her the wrong one. I told her it was Dark Skies and really it's Dark Shores. And we were chatting about Dark Shores and I just messed that one up. And I was like, oh, I should just get them both. And I was like, no, no, I'll wait. The one time I'm not impulsive with book buying, it shot me right in the foot. <laughs> just goes to show you. It got just with the money. <laughs> I never got it. And I didn't get to read with you guys, but I was still on your lot. I still watched your live, even though I had no idea what was going on. You did. I appreciated it. But um, to answer your question, I actually just looked at my huge pile of books I'm taking with me when I go to the beach. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I loved Fable. So Adrian Young did Sky in the Deep. And I think that's my next fantasy one that I'm going to go on to. If I manage to finish my contemporary romance that I'm chugging through it. Like I'm like chugging along. I'm going to get, I'm going to get it finished, I think. But that's the one I'm really looking forward to. And that's like a fantasy that's got a nice female lead and she's strong. And I think that'll, I'm pretty sure that's fantasy, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So that's my next one. Nice. Well, it has been so lovely chatting with you. you i had fun good uh this has been a bookshelf binge i'm your host jessica you can find me on instagram at bookshelf binge you can find my wonderful friend jess on instagram at bookish baddie and i will talk to you next week